0: Today, I want to begin by reading Psalm 38 with you. Um, This isn't something we can just jump in and I can teach and I can preach. It's really something we need to feel because this is an important moment in the writer's life. It's a part of his story and we got to feel and experience it. So we're continuing in our series, Earth Shattering, and uh, we're seeing how this guy's life is just shattered. Let me read it. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows have sunk into me, and your hand has come down on me. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. I am utterly bowed down and prostrate all the day I go about mourning. For my sides are filled with burning, and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and crushed. I groan because of the tumult of my heart. O Lord, all my longing is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart throbs. My strength fails me, and the light of my eyes, it also has gone from me. My friends and companions stand aloof from my plague and my nearest kin stand far off. Those who seek my life lay their snares. Those who seek my hurt speak of ruin and meditate treachery all day long. But I am like a deaf man. I do not hear like a mute man who does not open his mouth. I have become like a man who does not hear and in whose mouth are no rebukes. But you, O Lord, do I wait? It is you, O Lord my God, who will answer. For I said, Only let them not rejoice over me who boast against me when my foot slips, for I am ready to fall, and my pain is ever before me. I confess my iniquity. I am sorry for my sin. But my foes are vigorous, they are mighty, and many are those who hate me wrongfully. Those who render me evil for good accuse me because I follow after good. Do not forsake me, O Lord. O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my Savior. I just wanted you to feel that. And yet, there's a problem when we sometimes enter grief like this psalmist, sometimes we don't feel. We don't feel anything. We're just numb. We're in a stage of grief called shock. Now, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, she came up in 1969 with, with five stages of grief. And then later was, was added this stage, the stage of shock. And and To best describe it, I'll give you a quote about it by Kat Wheeler. This is what she said. She said, Our minds protect us by only allowing the reality of pain and suffering to seep slowly over time, as much loss as we can manage in that moment. Shock is a coping mechanism, it protects us from being overwhelmed by a trauma, by a suffering, by pain. Now, today or in this sermon series, I'm not gonna be giving you lectures on the stages of grief. I'll be talking about them. I'll be mentioning them. But I'm not gonna lecture us on these. What what my hope is in this series is that we can feel and be real about our pain. I'm gonna try to be as real as possible with you. I need you to be real also with yourself. You need to figure out what is causing it? You need to figure out what's going on. I need you to be real with me. But I'm also going to be real about the gospel. There's times we don't feel, but the gospel is what heals. So that, that's my plan through this time. Even when you don't feel anything. I don't know if you ever had it where you're in that moment and when you're in that trauma, when you're in that shock and people know you're hurting and they come up to you and they're just like, how are you doing? Like their heart is sincere. They really want to know, but it's so difficult, right? Like you really have two options. You can be like, oh, I'm good. I'm good. Or you may be like this, life really stinks. I can't stand it right now. Like, you ask me how I feel. I don't even know how I feel. I don't even know what to say to you. All I know is that I'm overwhelmed by the grief I have, and I don't have much good to say. Um, How are you doing? You want to ask a different question? Like, maybe? If that's where you are, if that's where you've been, I want us, I want us to find, through this time, some healing. I want us, in the shock, to find something else that we find in this psalm, Psalm 38. And so I'm going to walk through this, but I'm not going to do it linear fashion. I'm not going to go verse by verse. I'm going to do some jumping around so your Bibles out may help. Um, I'm going to do that because, honestly, this psalm is not that linear. It It's grief, and grief is not linear. It's not like you jump from one stage to the next of grief, and it's just clean. Grief is messy. It's not linear. So I'm going to walk through this, and I'm going to look at things that we do know in this psalm, but there are things we don't know. I'll begin with something we do know. We know that this is a writhing man. He's in desperate pain. Just go to verses 6 through 8 with me, and we'll walk through these. He says, I am utterly bowed down and prostrate. Now, when I read these verses, I just want you to think in your head of someone you love, someone you care for. I want you to think about how you're sitting right next to them. You may not be, but you may be. And I want you to think that they are saying these words to you. Now, they may not say the words, I am bowed down and prostrate, right? Unless they've been reading a lot of Shakespeare. But this is what these words mean. And just imagine it coming from someone you love. Like I'm bowed down. That word means that that I'm curled up in a ball. You ever see those pictures of someone just writhing in pain? They're they're curled up. Their pain is like a black hole that is sucking them inward. And then they say we're prostrate. Just imagine them lying on the floor, curled up in pain. And he says, I've been mourning all the day. It never ends. He goes on this is why for seven for my sides are filled with burning and there is no soundness in my flesh my body is utterly broken there's no wellness in it verse 8 i am feeble i am crushed i groan because of the tumult of my heart i groan that word means roar it is the strongest cry of pain This guy is is not just stubbing his toe and saying a four-letter word. I'm thinking, ouch. I don't know what you were thinking. Um, If you need to pause and do some confession, go ahead and do that on your video. Um, I was thinking, ouch. This is what's happened. It's more like an amputation with no anesthesia. He's writhing in pain. And even though that arm is gone, that leg is gone, there is ghost pain that is writhing him. That's what's going on with this man. He's writhing, and yet he's still writing. And and this is something that I don't feel like we could get a clear picture on. So something we don't know. We know he's in pain, but we don't know exactly why he's in pain. I've read this psalm several, several, several times, and I've been trying to figure out what is the cause of his pain. And honestly, I can't figure it out. I'm just going to be real. Maybe you can read it and you're smarter than I, and you could be like, oh, that's it. But, but he does talk about many things. He talks about phys- physically and emotionally and mentally and spiritually, just, just the different pain he has. Like the physical is evident. He's writhing in pain. His body is broken. In verse five, he says, my wounds stink and fester." Some of you are ready to go on YouTube and look up some of those crazy, yucky videos of wounds that stink and fester because that's like your geek out thing. Um, some of you are getting nauseous right now just because I'm talking about it. So, so I'll move on. But he talks about physical pain, but I can't tell if it's like a physical cause that's causing the suffering. He talks about emotional stuff. He talks about in verse 11, my friends and companions stand aloof from my plague and my nearest kin stand far off. Right? They're away from me. My family. So again, imagine the people who are important in your life. Imagine them not even coming close to you. Like, is that his pain? I, it's painful, but I don't know if it's the cause of his suffering. And then it's very clear in the psalm that there is a spiritual element to it. Just go to verses one and one through four. Oh Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. So anger and wrath, what they deal with often is, is sin. For your arrows have sunk into me. Your hand, O God, has come on me. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation, anger, wrath, indignation. It deals with sin, and we're going to hear about it. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are heavy for me. And you can read that and you may be like, ding, 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 ding. That has to be the reason for his suffering. It's his sin. And yet I read through this and I'm not convinced. Because later on, he talks about in verse 20, those who render me evil for good accuse me because I follow after good. I can't figure out exactly what the cause is. There's a lot of fog here. There's a lot of unknown. But one thing that I think he does make clear, which is essential, is he is making a correlation between sin and suffering. So, so if you would ask the psalmist, is there a correlation between sin and suffering? I think he, he'd say yes. Throughout this psalm, he is weaving suffering with sin and sin with suffering. It's a part of the fabric of his story. I think if you would ask him, if you would ask me, does personal sin cause suffering? Our, both our answers would be yes. To you, and to others. If you gossip about people, which is a sin, that will hurt other people, right? That's what sin does. It causes suffering. If you would ask the psalmist, ask me, is God punishing this man because of his sin through the means of suffering? That's honestly, I don't know what to say. It seems to suggest that but I'm not convinced of that. And when I look at the rest of Scripture, and again, this is more an invitation for you to explore, I don't don't see that very often. There are occasions, rare occasions, where we see that suffering is happening because out of sin. Let me give you one small example. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 30. Paul's writing about the Lord's Supper, and he says, For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And this is what he goes on to say, that is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. Wow, right? Like judgment because you're not discerning the Lord's Supper and it's resulted in physical suffering. And the point of that is it's to lead to repentance. So that is a reality like in a verse like this, but but more often it's like this, John 9, where there's a blind man and he was born blind and the disciples see him and they ask the question, did he or his parents sin? And Jesus is just like um, option C. It's not A or B. This is all so that the work of God can happen in his life and God can receive glory through a miracle. Like that's C. So, So even in scripture, even though it's there, I don't know the cause of this man's suffering. Is it sin? Is it a physical illness? Is it an emotional breakdown because of relationship? I don't know. I think intentionally it remains a little foggy. But I think there's something very clear in this song that there is a correlation between sin and suffering and how he deals with that. Go, go to verse 15 with me. This is where we see how he handles it. He says, but for you, O Lord, do I wait? It is you, O Lord, my God, who will answer me. So wait means hope, okay? He's saying, I will wait under the weight of my suffering. I will hope even though the suffering is heavy. This is his posture, He's saying with exceedingly certainty, you're going to answer me, God. So I'm going to wait on you. But I don't want you to get the picture that this psalmist is just calm, cool, and collective. Like he's Zen-like. Uh, uh, legs crossed, humming. Mm, like that. That's not what you need to picture. Don't clean this up too much because grief is not clean. Grief is messy. And we see that mess happening in verses 21 through 22. He ends by saying, do not forsake me, O Lord, O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my savior. What I, what I see going on here is I, I picture this. I picture if I was a driving and I was in a car accident with one of my kids. They're riding with me. They're buckled in. And I come to, and I see my child sitting in that seat unconscious because of the accident. I see smoke and fire starting to come out of the engine. And I try to unbuckle that child to get get him out of there, but I can't. It's jammed. I'm stuck. But I see the fire trucks coming, and I get out of the car, and I run to the fire trucks. I run to the firefighters, and I'm I'm hysterical. I'm in shock, and I'm like, guys, come save my son. That's how he ends. He's like in shock. He's traumatized. But he's going to his provider. This is, this is lament, right? Proclaiming his pain to his provider. And he terms him at the very end, my salvation. That word has to it this sense of healing. Now, I want to be very clear. Healing. Healing is not on this earth, fixing what's broken. Healing on earth is is not resurrecting those who have died. That may be the source and reason for your grief, but that is not healing on this earth. Healing is also, and I want to be very clear on this, healing is not just moving on from your grief. And I say that because I think that's often how we, we have a misconception of grief. I listened to a TED Talk this week by a woman named Nora McInery, and she was talking about grief. She speaks from her own story. Her husband died after battling cancer. And she, she talks about how when she remarried, her current husband, which he said, he doesn't really like that title, um, that that people were almost like, yeah, you're moving on. Good job. We did it. We brought her through and she's happy again. It's all fixed. And she said it, it's not. You see, you you may have a loved one. Let's use that example of, of suffering. You may have a loved one who died. And even though that one you loved died, your love for that one does not die. It continues. Which means grief continues because you grieve the things you've lost that you love. You do. It continues. She, she talks about how, how she is continuing in her grief. She, she loves her current husband. But it doesn't mean she's moved on from her love from her past husband. She says it's of the same thread. It's it's my love that continues. and So we can't move on from grief because we continue to have love. So I picture it kind of this way. Uh, I think we often think of, of grief as a book that we get from the library. We read it. We love it. We go and we recommend for other people to read it. And then we go back to the library and we shelve it. And we go on to another book. That is not a proper look at grief. It can't be. Because grief is happening in your story that is currently being written. It, you can't close it. You, you can't shelve your grief that has happened in the past because your story continues. And that is a part of your story. Nora McElhenry puts it this way. She, she says, we don't do that with joy. Her example is this, a, a baby's born, we're celebrating, we're excited, um, that baby grows, it's the fifth birthday, you don't come to that birthday party and it's like, you know, uh, you've been celebrating this child enough. Like it, It's time to get over it. Like Get rid of the balloons, get rid of the confetti, get rid of the cake, Like this, this is enough, time to be done. But we do that with grief. If people have been in it a long time, it's like, okay, it's time to be done. That's, that's what's suggested, but that can't happen. Grief is just as momentous and part of our story that shapes us. You can't move on from grief. What she says is you have to move forward with grief. That's what I love about this psalm. This psalmist does not move on from grief. In fact, he takes the posture of lament. A key posture in lament is sitting down in the suffering and waiting hoping with certainty. I think healing is not that he'll fix the problems right now, that he'll resurrect what's dead. I think healing is that we look and we live differently. Let me give you an example. When I was in seventh grade, I was playing dodgeball and uh, we were playing with some adults. An adult threw one of those balls and it hit the side of my face. And what it happened was it ultimately caused a cataract to form on that lens and it tore a retina, which is vital for seeing. So I had surgery. Um, they removed the lens. And my eye healed. It's healed. But I can't see well out of it. I look at things differently now. Because I'm legally blind in that eye. It's, it's all blurry. I can see shapes. I can see colors, but that's it. And also, I look differently. Maybe you've noticed that, but have not, not dared to say it, right? Because one of my eyes strays. It can't focus anymore, so it just kind of does its own thing, which is very useful for preaching when I'm with people, because one person will be like, oh, you're looking at me. Another person will be like, oh, you're looking at me. I'm like, no, I really wasn't looking at any of you, but you thought I was, <laughs> I look and I live differently. I have to. It's not fixed, but it's healed. That's the healing I mean. You can't move on because it's not fixed, but there can be healing. And that comes by anchoring yourself, tethering yourself to the healer. And I'm going to say specifically Jesus. And so I, I got to move. But, but I want to go real quick to Isaiah. Isaiah 53. I just want you to see and why you can trust to anchor yourself to Jesus. Isaiah 53 is a prophecy of Jesus. It's foretelling who Jesus is. And I love where it begins. It says that Jesus is not pretty. You may be like, oh, like he said. No, he's not pretty. Listen to this. Verse 53, or chapter 53 of Isaiah. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. Jesus is not pretty. Why? Listen to this. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He gets what you're going through. He's been through all the stages. He's endured shock, not even knowing how to feel. He acquainted himself with grief. And and how he did that was he stepped onto this earth. He was not sinful. But he recognized there is a correlation between suffering and sin. And he came to deal with the source of suffering, which is sin. It's kind of like this. If you go to the doctor and you maybe can't see very well or, or you're having shakes or, or something's going on, they're going to look at those symptoms and try to figure out the source and they may determine, I hope not, but they may determine it's cancer. And what are the doctors going to do? Are they going to treat the symptoms? No, they're going to go after the source. They're going to go after the cancer. They're going to do that surgically. They're going to do that with radiation. They're going to do that with chemo in order to eradicate the source of your symptoms, your suffering. Jesus came, and the surgical room is the cross. He came to deal with the source. We see the the symptoms, the suffering, but he came to deal with the source. He came and became acquainted with our griefs. This This is what it goes on to say. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. It goes on, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed. That's in our psalm. He was crushed for our sins, our iniquities. You see, he came to deal with the source of our sin and he roared because he endured it. He gave the strongest cry of pain. Matthew 27, verse 50 says, he again let out a loud voice and yielded his spirit, willingly gave it up in order to bring healing. To you and me. That's where it ends. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes, we are healed. Healed. It's not just future, it's not just one day he will eradicate it all and there will be no more symptoms of sin. That is true. But today, you can have healing. That's the promise you're still going to have scars. You're going to carry that with you. You're not going to move on from that. But you're going to look and you're going to see differently. This is how I hope you look and see. You see, I think shock of trauma and suffering drama it demands awe. That's what this posture of waiting, of hoping, of lament brings. I don't know if any of you are going to go on vacation this year. I don't know if you are. COVID-19, change your plans. Um, but let's just say you decide, you know, I'm going to go to the Grand Canyon. I think I can do some social distancing there. Um, may want to call before you try. Don't know if it's open. But let's say you do that and you go. What are you going to do when you get there? You're going to look. You're going to take in the grandness of the Grand Canyon. What does the posture of lament do? In the midst of shock, this emotional paralysis. It gets you to deliberate paralysis. I'm not going to do. I'm not going to run. I'm not going to move. I'm going to wait. And I'm going to look for the grandness of my God. It's not all pretty. I'm going to continue to live differently because of the scars. But I'm going to live deliberately in the presence of the one who is grand. Who entered my suffering. And who is caring for me in my suffering. I love that the psalmist does not deny the sovereignty of God in this. He owns it. Because God is in it. He's over it. And he's working in you through it. That's my prayer for you. And if you are not grief-stricken right now, I'll use Nora McEnry's language, if you're grief-adjacent right now, I'm just gonna ask you to be that presence that if they're in shock and their minds are just seeping in slowly the the reality of that pain, just sit with them. Don't, Don't pressure them to move on. Sit with them and look to the one who's grand and let that seep from you slowly over time into their life. Can we be that? Can we do that? Let's pray. Gracious God, we lament, we cry out. Thank you for being our God who hears. Be with those who are roaring right now in pain. Grant them healing, which isn't moving on, which isn't fixing. Grant them healing so they can look and live differently in the midst of the suffering in this story that you are shaping and writing. Lord, we love the people watching, participating in this worship. Care for them as only you can for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. As we close our time of worship together, as we move into the next steps, uh, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and may the fellowship and love of the Holy Spirit be with each and every single one of you. Amen. Go in peace. Love you guys.